no, 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 Hey everybody, Norm over here. I want to tell you about one of my favorite podcasts with my friend Rick Vito, Dan Duran, and Rob Bolger. We're discussing a lot of the early days of the store, which, you know, some pretty hysterical stories, some really good music. Rick Vito and I and Dan were in a band called the Angel City Rhythm Band. We were a pretty popular local band here, and Rick went on. Bonnie Raitt pulled him out of our band, went to Jackson Brown, Bob Seger, Fleetwood Mac. He's played with everybody. He's one of the greatest ever, so please check it out. One of my favorite podcasts. It's the Norm's Rare Guitars podcast, and I'm with some of my best old friends for many, many years. Uh, I've got the great Rick Vito, probably, in my opinion, the greatest slide player of all time. Uh, he's uh, up there with the best of the best with Rye and Derek and the rest of those guys. Uh, but he does a lot of other really cool stuff, and we used to play in a band together many years ago, and along with that band, I have my buddy Dan Duran on bass. Uh, the great, yeah, the great Dan Duran. Uh, you know, give me my money later, Dan. And then uh, I have my other friend, Rob Bolger, who used to work at the store many years ago. He's now a costumer in the movie business, and he's a big shot. And, uh, you know, we used to know him as young Rob. Now he's like the Gabby Hayes of the music business or movie business. But, uh, you know, it's great to see these guys, and we have a lot of history. And I just want to tell you about everything that we used to do together and all the crazy cool stuff that Rick is doing right now and that the other guys are doing. So uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. So here it is. Yeah, baby. All right, so we got my friend, the great Rick Vito, and Rick. Thank you very much, Norm. Uh, Appreciate Rick and the I, accolades. Well, there you go. 
and you can pay me later. All right. All right. So uh, I think these, I've been paying all along, haven't I? You've paid. You've made a lot of deposits into the account <laughs> so, of uh, Norm Harris yeah. and the Norm Drag Guitars uh, family for yeah, many years. That's right. And uh, Danny uh, Dan Duran used to work with me at the store for many years, mm -hmm. and yes. uh, we played in a band together. We had a band called the Angel City Rhythm Band, and uh, we were a pretty popular local band. And uh, we were uh, we had a big following in L.A. And everybody used to come out to see the band because they wanted to hear Rick Vito play. No, I don't and, know about that. And well, don't hear us sing. Yeah. Most people don't know that Norm is a great singer and and a B3 Hammond player. He's, he's got a lot of guitars. He's not a good guitar player, but he's a great singer and Hammond <laughs> Thank B3 you. player. Well, good bass player. Was, really good bass player. Yeah. Was, really good was player. the uh, the key word. And uh, so one day we were playing, and then uh, Bonnie Raitt happened to come to see our show. And the next thing we know, Bonnie uh, had hired Rick, and that was that for our band. You know, so who knows what, what might have happened. <laughs> I don't remember that, but uh, if you say so. I mean, well, I did work with Bonnie Raitt, but is that what happened? Yes, that is what we're happened. We're going yeah. back a long ways. I, I know I first met you in 1975 when... Like you said, we were playing at the, mainly at the the, the greatest club of all of all, of all time, Corral. the Topanga Corral. The best. I mean, you could you go into the corral any night and see any anybody from uh, you know famous movie stars to like burned out hippies to surfers to you know Topanga all Dick. the local colorful characters yeah, of the oh, day. Yeah. And he was playing in a band called I think, Charlie Dog, was it? Yep. And uh, we were very impressed with this guy. And, and then I met Dan, and, and I was working with John Mayo at the time, and you were changing your guitar player, and I said, well, you know, if I when I'm home on the road, I'd love to play with you guys. We were playing so, with Juke at the time, right? With John Juke Logan, yeah. yeah. And, Who uh, was one of the greatest Wurlitzer players. Yeah. Great harmonica player. He played with uh, Rye in that Crossroads movie. Yes, that's and, right. And he also did the Norm Fair guitar logo as an artist. He did. Absolutely. My original logo, yeah. that was in Spinal Tap. That was Juke who did that. So, and we'll yeah. talk greatest a little bit about Greatest self-promoter. Yeah. yeah he, he, he was the greatest self-promoter. Yeah. And Rob, who used to work at the store for many years, and uh, Rob was like a young kid at the time. He was and the kid. we used to play terrible tricks on oh. Rob. We're going to have another episode that we're going to do with Danny, me, and Rob where we'll talk about some of those shenanigans. And, you know, oh, yeah. my apologies to Rob. You know, I'm, I'm still I'm glad, in therapy. I'm, <laughs> yeah. I'm glad Rob doesn't carry a gun because uh, I might... Have been dead already. Are you you know, but this is the greatest yeah, university. It was a good, good education. Oh yeah. oh yeah, and then you know we used to play poker in the store and all that. We so had a Rob, ping pong you know, table in the store for a while. Well, we had a ping pong table in the store, and then I think one guitar got damaged, and we pulled that out. Then we had a, a, a pinball machine. Two pinball machines and, in the back, and we used to bet on that, and it became evident to me that it was a lot cheaper for me to pick up the vacuum cleaner and break the pinball machine and keep it around because I was losing $50 a game. Yes. Uh, you know, Norm, Norm's Rare Guitars <laughs> today is kind of, it's an institution. It's known it's worldwide. It's an institution. But Family in 1976, friendly. when you first started it up, it was a, like a bedroom size. Yeah, room, it wasn't much bigger than this. Place with a back room. Twice as big Most as of the inventory was up on the wall. Yeah. And I know I came yeah. home. This is the way, put everything in perspective to the way it is now. I came home with my first paycheck from John Mills. First time I ever had a paycheck in my life. And I walked in the store and I had 1200 bucks. For 1200 bucks, I got a 53 Tele and a 57 Strat. 
That's what things for, were you selling for. You got both for twelve hundred. For twelve hundred and fifty bucks. Yeah, yeah. I remember that. That's what that's. Those were I the can't days. remember that at all. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to forget. I, <laughs> I remember well, the first yeah. time I met you when you lived over in uh, Sherman Oaks. I went over. I was going out on the road with the coasters with Juke, and I needed uh-huh. a P. I had an old P base. I didn't want to take. I I bought a '73 P base from you. It was like brand new, 125 bucks. Yeah, that's those and were I kept the days. That for years, years. Those were the days. Yeah, we friend. thought we'd they'd never end, but yeah, they have. Right. <laughs> and uh, you know, our buddy Rob, you know, he's the you know witness all this stuff as a oh, young yeah. man, and we would have poker games in the Ooh. store, and like you know. Older women remember? would come in with their grandkids and you know, <laughs> yeah. money Just all over the floor. Go look at the yeah. guitars. We're in the middle of a <laughs> night night baseball poker game. The yeah. best Threes, would be when... Oh, threes and nines were wild and four oh. got an extra card. How yeah, did we yeah. ever play uh, that game? I don't know, but it, that was crazy. And, you know, and we used to play a lot. And Dan and I, every once in a while, we would feel bad. We used to let you win here and there, Rick. You <laughs> Me? Know, because we, I, we didn't want to hear the whining and crying <laughs> and all that kind of stuff. Now, I can remember a few whines and cries between you two guys. Oh, yeah. yeah. For sure. <laughs> Very competitive. I'm sure that the, I'm Especially surprised. Gin. Oh God! There oh, isn't a, any stock in the bicycle company because the amount of cards that were ripped up and thrown out yeah. in front of the store it was yeah. like a homecoming yeah. right. parade for MacArthur. It was it was not an uncommon sight to see some fur flying in that room. <laughs> oh, I'm yeah. sure. Well, you know, and Rob and we were so cruel to poor Rob. Uh, you know, we have a card game and somebody get pissed and lose a lot of money in a hand and rip up the cards and then throw the poker chips on, up the on top of the roof. And then we'd send Rob up there on a ladder and then we'd <laughs> remove the ladder and Rob would be going, you fucking guys, you know, let me down. And we'd be up there laughing. If it wasn't here. better, it's like, go get me another deck of cards. Yeah. It, it, it made him it made him the man he is today. Word. But to just say. to be clear, Norm is the one that threw the car, the poker chips on the roof every time. Yes. Uh, no, no, not I never every did. time. Never, uh, Dan, I remember a time where uh, I uh, Dan had a full house and I had four of a kind. And Dan was so disturbed by that that he ripped up the cards, ran down to the liquor store to buy a new deck. And when he came back, I took. The, I had like four threes. I put them on uh, the windshield of his car. So when he left that night, he would see that hand one more time and he lost his mind. And, you know, there was just a lot of. Well, that, really wasn't, crazy as, stuff. that wasn't as bad as when you put the glass of water on the door. After oh, I lost yeah. that hand and I walked in and got doused. I remember the plaque that was on the wall when you guys were playing uh, racquetball that was the testimonial three... to the raw talent of Mr. Dan Duran and the raw temper of Norman yeah. Harris. Oh, yeah. Well, we used to bet on almost anything. Anything. We'd bet on anything that would go on. Yeah. In fact, then, that racket's still in the bathroom. Oh, yeah. No, we <laughs> still have it. And Rob, I, I remember my son Jordan one time. Rob used to, every time there was like... Uh, a pretty girl oh, walking stop. down the street, oh. or there was one. There was one hooker who used to be across the street from our store, and we'd watch her kind of flag these guys down. A in troubled the car. woman who needed money. Yeah, but yeah. from behind, she looked like a hot young thing. But when she turned around and you saw her face, it was like frightening. Oof but up. we would kind of like watch this girl try to flag down these cars, and Rob would grab our binoculars that we kept there. And so Jordan, one time to play a trick on Rob, put like some. Uh, Sharpie uh, around the binoculars, so when Bo- when Rob looked into the binoculars, he when he took them off, his eyes he looked like a raccoon, <laughs> and nobody wanted to tell Rob. I remember about that, that trick? Yeah. yeah. Well, I got him back when he came in, took a nap in the chair after having some herbal sleep aid, and I put a twin reverb next to his head at full <laughs> volume and started playing Blitzkrieg Bop. I think uh, he jumped 
higher than Jesse Owens. <laughs> well, there you go. So that's part of the shenanigans. But yeah. I know two guys who want to hear something a little bit more serious. Let's talk about, Rick, and your career. So you're from Philly. I'm from Philly. Yeah. And um, when you started out, um, who did you play with back in Philly? Uh Pretty much, uh, I was pl- doing shows with like a band. There was a band that I played with Weren't in you high Lee school. Lee Andrews and the Hearts. I time? did back up Lee Andrews and the Hearts. You know, all, all those great doo-wop hits. Long and Lonely Nights. And yeah. I later, uh, pre- uh, I, I guess I was the presenter of his award when they they uh, inducted him into the Philly Hall of Fame. Cool. Uh, but I also played with a group called the Lydells, who had a group had a hit called a local hit called "Off to See the Wizard." Wonderful wizard. Oh love, God! <laughs> which they got sued for. Oh. And uh, and my father had a nightclub in Wildwood, New Jersey. Oh, yeah. So I remember uh, that. My brother and I would have our little bands, and we'd go down. And in those days, the bands would play in the daytime and the night. And when they'd take their twenty-minute uh, break, my brother and I would jump up with our band, play Rolling Stones or you know James cool. Brown or whatever we knew, you know. And uh, so that's kind of my background. Then we got into blues when I was in college, and all the blues guys. And what what brought you to L.A. originally? I met Delaney and Bonnie in college, and uh, they told me if you want to get in the show business, you got to come to L.A. You know, we'll help you. And uh, so at the end of the school year, that's what I did. I moved to L.A. and they hired me. I went right at right back out on the road. Was on the Dick Cavett show and uh, you toured have, with them. Can you tell the uh, Little Richard story? Little <laughs> 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 that came a couple. That's a pretty long story, oh, Dan. It's a good but, one, though. Yeah, I'll tell you what. Let's let's save that okay. for later because right. it takes a while to get that thing out from beginning to end. But you played with Little Richard. I too. did. Little Richard, uh, his brother Peyton used to Peyton. manage my band, and yes. he brought me out from Florida to California. Yeah. And uh, so so when you got out here, so you were playing with Delaney and Bonnie. Yeah. And then um, John Mayall for a while too. Well, right? yeah, that came a few years a few years later. Uh, during the f- few years that followed Delaney and Bonnie, I worked with like uh, uh, Bobby Whitlock from Derek and the Dominoes, Leon Russell, uh, did a lot of those oldies things like the Olympics and shows for oh, Wolfman yeah. Jack. Did those. My like that. baby loves Western, Western movies. Yeah. So that was one of the Yeah, just things. whatever you could get, playing a lot of clubs and, and things like that. And then uh, John Mayo came in 75. Hey, Rick, when you were with Delaney and Bonnie, was Jerry McGee on the scene at all? No, the but late, I, great I... Jerry McGee? Jerry McGee was an inspiration to me. Uh, he, of course, played on the early Delaney and Bonnie records, Record, yeah. and I learned a lot from him and, and then got to be really good friends with him. I still have one of his guitars that uh, yeah, I Jerry bought. was a dear friend to all of us here. Yeah. You know, we all, he, was, he would frequent the great store. Guy. One of the yeah. really great guys. Really laid-back Louisiana guy. Yeah, and, he's a real Cajun. Uh, but he, he was could, laid back, but he could really play. You know? Oh, yeah. It wasn't and, easy what he was doing. And on a Telecaster, oh, too. Yeah. I mean, he played yeah. that chicken-picking style and yes. killed it. And, yes. you know, he kind of defined a lot of that stuff. Yes. Then he ended up playing on stuff like uh, Last Train to Clarksville by the Monkees yes. and stuff. He was a studio guitar player, played with Chris Christofferson, yes. played with... Uh, the Ventures uh, for the many Ventures. years. The Ventures, yeah. And he, he even played a little bit with Elvis, too. Yeah, oh, yeah, is that right? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. Wow. So, uh, unfortunately, we just lost them recently yeah. in Weeks Japan, ago, yeah. and he was, uh, you know, a buddy to all of us and a great inspiration and just a great guy to hang with. So Yeah, I put a mention of it in uh, Facebook and got a really nice long response from James Burton, a real oh, nice testimonial really? oh, talking about how great Jerry was. Yeah, they were all. buddies. Yeah, they were. Absolutely. Louisiana Louisiana boys. Louisiana boys, yeah. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. Wow. Do you remember when uh, Danny Yu was going to have James Burton play for him? <laughs> <laughs> Danny Yu was this Elvis impersonator, and he was a buddy of ours. Uh, but he had this house. Uh, it was on Parthenia, which was like— Up in North Jeff. It was not the street to build a Graceland— uh, Copy. Copy. Graceland, yeah. uh, you know, and it, it was so funny because it was so out of place because it was like this 9,000-square-foot house. The house next to it was probably 1,100 square yeah. feet or something like that. Yeah. And he had all this stuff. And Danny and I used to go over to this Danny. Yeah. And we'd— uh, um, he he was such a character. I mean, I remember we got these two big uh, showcases from Gibson, and we would keep some guitars in there. And Danny would come in, and he would speak in Elvis's voice. He couldn't get he couldn't get off of but it. But it was more like Yogi Bear. It was a combination of Elvis and Yogi Bear. He'd go, "Hey Norm, what would you take for those two breakfront things over yeah. there with the guitars on them?" Yeah, yeah. I said, "Well, you know, Danny, they're not really for sale." He said, "Well, uh, you know, I'd really like to have them." I said, "Well, you know, we're not. You know, Gibson gave them to us. We're not really going to sell." He said, well, I'll give you like two grand each for him. I said, Danny, you just bought yourself two breakfasts. <laughs> so to we make the whole thing, to, the right, <laughs> to make the whole thing even more insane, I go over to his house. He says, come on, uh, come on over. I want to show you what I did with these breakfasts. I said, all right, you know, cool. He spray painted them in this gold leaf. <laughs> yeah. I don't know what he paid to do that. And then inside the case, there was an Epiphone Elvis J200. It was like a $500 guitar into these cases that he probably paid three or $4,000 by the time he got through. He was a character, and uh, we loved him, but he was a nut, and he was just part of the cast of characters. They just they go walk one, in one, every day. One day, uh, uh, one Saturday, John, uh, Danny, you was in the store, and I said, hey, what are you doing tonight? And he said, oh, I'm going to Hollywood. And I said, well, I'm playing with Rick at this little club in Burbank, the Village Bar and Grill. I remember yep. that. Yeah. And I said, why don't you stop by? And he goes, I'll, I'll stop by and I'll bring James Burton with me. And I go, okay, great. So I, I I'll stop off. by and I'll bring James, James, Burton, yeah, bring James yeah, Burton with yeah. me. And my girlfriend yeah. looks like Morgan Fairchild. And, uh, <laughs> right. Swear, that about, was right. I remember that. About a midnight, this limousine pulls up out in front and Danny Yu gets out and he's dressed to the nines with a girl who's dressed and his guitar player, whose name was Danny Fender, all dressed up and walks in the club with James Burton right. in a tennis outfit. Remember that? <laughs> they sat in with us, didn't they? Yeah, we got yeah. James to sit in yeah. with us for two Like mystery train or something with He him. wouldn't sit in at first, but then you kind of talked to him. Yeah, yeah. And that, that was really cool, Yeah, actually. I, I, I've delivered. become pretty good friends with James since then, but that was the first time, yeah. I think, that he uh, he sat in with us. Yeah. Danny, you delivered. Yeah. Yes, he did. So, listen, let's get back to, like, you know, some of yeah. the stuff, because uh, you were with Bonnie for quite a while. Yeah, I came in, in and out of Bonnie's rates group three different times, uh, you know, just different eras, you know, and then she would change her whole band and or just do something completely different. And then Jackson Brown. Yeah, that that led to Jackson because Jackson would always come and sit in with Bonnie. And um, and from Jackson, I think. Uh, Bob Seger. Yeah, I'll remind him, man. We're getting old, you know. So, uh, yeah, I do remember yeah. that because I remember yeah. it all because you left our band and we were in alert. Yeah, but right. That was right. But, anyhow, so, uh, but he played the slide on Like a Rock, yeah, which was, like rock. you know, on those Chevy truck commercials, truck commercials for many years. years. You man, must have made a fortune years. off that, Rick. Vito. Oh, yeah. I've got a house in, <laughs> uh, in Florida just on the royalties <laughs> I made from that. And if that, you believe that. <laughs> yeah, that's the music business for you. Was the Jackson Brown gig where you discovered the Dumbles? Yeah, Jackson Brown uh, gave me his Dumble amplifier to to play through and uh, and 
and then he gave it to me to keep. So yeah, I used that on the Bob Seger and all through. Uh, I later, after Bob Seger joined Fleetwood Mac, as you right know, and uh, used that that same amp and that same setup for Fleetwood Mac. And so you were with Fleetwood Mac with Billy Burnett, who's another yeah. friend of ours. Yeah, about four or five years together. And um, so that was a cool deal. Then you played with Stevie Nicks too, right? Yeah, did a tour with Stevie and uh, I did some recording with her. And she she also sang on my first solo record. It came out on Atlantic in 92, I think. Very cool. Yeah. And, um, you know, so you, you, and also you were playing with Mick Fleetwood featuring Rick Vita. Yeah, that, that was a more recent, well, not so recent now. In 2007, we started that. And, uh -huh. uh, and we, we had a record that, uh, and, a, and a DVD that's called Blue Again. And that was nominated for a Grammy, actually. It went to the Grammy Awards and uh, didn't get it, but it was still pretty cool. Well, yeah. there were a lot of great guitar players that came through Fleetwood Mac. And one that I know you really emulate on, Peter Green. Oh, yeah. Um, and you play that stuff like. Uh, probably as good or better than oh, Peter plays no, it, I but I mean, but, but he invented it and it was great. And uh, so, you know, there's a lot of history. Yeah, we'll maybe talk about Peter a little more later. But uh, yeah, he was he started off sort of copying Eric Clapton with Jane uh, John Mayall, and uh -huh. and then but you could tell it was him playing. It wasn't quite exactly uh, Clapton, but then when he formed Fleetwood Mac, he sort of gravitated to more of a purist B.B. King style. And then later, after that, after the first two records, then they went more rock, you know, kind of blues rock. Uh -huh. So, uh, you know, there's just a lot of history all the way around. And then when Danny and I and Rick played together, um, we, uh, our drummer, Joey Whaley, mm -hmm. um, was... Um, he ended up playing with John Mayall for probably the last 25 years or so. I think since jo retired. Jo Joe was the long, played with John Mayall longer than anyone in, yeah. in Mayall's history. It was over history. 25 years. Yeah. yeah. A long time. Yeah. So we used to all back up, uh, uh, when we were playing together, we used to back up uh, Lowell Folson and Albert Collins. Albert Collins, the great Eddie Cleanhead Vincent. Oh, I Roy was Milton, there for that one. Uh, Big Joe Turner. Big, Big Joe Mama Turner. Thornton at the, at the yeah. Starwood. Remember that when she passed the hat around at the end? Oh, uh, that was I wasn't there. I must have been on the road then. Uh, well, when Rick left, we had uh, our buddy John Paulus from Miami, yeah. who was a friend of mine who was a great bass player and a really good guitar player. And he ended up playing with Canned Heat for a long yeah. time, but he was Rick's replacement in the band uh, when uh, when Rick left. But we, I, I thought you might have been with us uh, when we played at the... Um, at, at the Starwood, but maybe not. I don't know. But I know we played the Starwood. I distinctly oh, yeah. remember oh, yeah. that. Oh, I can tell you, there's one story I want to bring up that was kind of <laughs> cool. But I, but you know, but when we did it with Big Mama Thornton, this was towards the end of her career, and she wasn't that big anymore. She no, was she kind was of thin, really thin. Yeah. and she was wearing like this madras dress and a different madras shirt. I yeah, mean, it was yeah. like sad. And she it had this sad. hat, and she instructed us to go into the slow blues thing, and we did the slow blues, and then she said, uh, you know, Big Mama, you know, not doing so good, and, you know, <laughs> I could really, uh, you know, use your help. And she took her hat off and put it down, and then everybody put all this money and change and everything. And yeah. So it was like loaded with all quarters and dollars and yeah. whatever, and then she went and Put, tried to put the hat back on with all the money in it. It fell all oh, no. over the floor. Yeah. And she was like oh, on her hands and knees thing. picking it, it up. It was, uh, you know, that's a typical life yeah, of the blues. Yeah, that's the blues, man. Thing. Yeah. That's, blues. that's weird that you bring her up because I, I just, just yesterday was what was watching uh, one of those uh, American folk blues 
uh, yeah, those videos really from Germany or England or whatever it was, and she was great. Yeah. Played great oh, harmonica yeah. and sang. And the guitar great. on Hound Dog, man. Oh, that that's was ridiculous. Like fantastic, yeah. you know. Absolutely. So, and uh, a yeah, and there, record. Were, there were a lot of people like Johnny Otis, you know, a lot of these people. There were all these blues people that lived in L.A., and they liked our band because we kind of stayed out of the way. We kind of understood kind of what they were doing because I'm sure they would uh, walk into some place and they'd get a backup band that was like a heavy metal band yeah, or something like that. They had no idea. And so, you know, they would call us all the time because we... We kinda... studied their music so we knew what to play and what not to play, more importantly. Right. But the, another time that I'll never forget at the Starwood, <laughs> and this is this is crazy because Joey Whaley was kind of a small guy. He was probably, you know, five foot six or seven maybe weighed 125 pounds and we were doing like a showcase thing at the Starwood which was a big club in LA and they have these big stairs that walked up to the, to dressing, the dressing room, room behind it and um, we're right in the middle of our set and we're you know we're hoping we're playing for like record people and stuff like that it was our big break mm -hmm. that we thought you know yeah. that never really happened but um, right in the middle of the set coming down the stairs is Buddy Miles and Buddy Miles goes <laughs> Walks down the stairs, comes up to Joe the drummer, and kind of says, I'm Buddy Miles. You know, goes, take off. Like, like let me play. Yeah, he's kind of giving him like the, the thumb. And Joe, who was like this little guy, and Buddy Miles was a big guy. Joe looks up at him and goes, fuck you. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and Buddy Miles just stood there. Because, I mean, most people probably didn't do that to Buddy Miles. And he was a little guy. And he just looked at him. And he, again, he went, fuck you. And Buddy Miles just kind of. With his head down, just kind of walking up the stairs, and you know, it was really what, a funny moment. Joe is a, Joe is a skinny little guy, but he was a scrapper. He, he, was, he, he could take care of himself pretty yeah, well. Yeah, yeah, he yeah. knew how to box. Yeah, yeah. So you didn't so, mess with Joe. Uh, yeah, but I mean, but just to see this guy who was probably three hundred pounds, and this guy right. who was like one hundred and twenty pounds, and for him to do that was uh, yeah. it was uh, pretty nutty. Yeah. So uh, that well, was just you know these. Were just if Buddy Miles had sat in, it would have messed up the whole thing because we were rehearsed. Yeah, and Miles yeah. just wanted to turn it into the Buddy Miles show. Yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah. So, but, you know, Buddy was a great drummer, but, yeah. uh, you know, Joe wasn't about to give up his seat. And and Buddy uh, was also known for playing the drums so hard that he'd leave the set in, in shambles <laughs> and right. then he'd need to go buy new drums when he got through. So he had that kind of reputation because he had a very heavy foot and, yeah, you know, yeah. and that kind of thing. So, um so Buddy actually walked up the stairs and kind of uh, <laughs> yeah, slithered away. That. And then, you know, it was it was just one of those moments. So listen, we're going to take a break in a couple minutes here. But what I want to do is I want to get uh, Rick and Dan to play a little bit more because I know you guys are going to want to you guys shut up and let these guys play. So, Rick, what, what can you do for us? Uh, let's see. How about the... Uh... Uh, how about the Glory Road, Dan? You want to sure. play that one? Sure. It's kind of a bow diddly beat yeah. thing. You know. So uh, you know how to do uh, a hand job? Yeah. When the job goes dry and the boss won't pay And your mean old man ain't got nothing to say well, put on your shoes, you can lose your blues And take a walk on the glory road When ain't no fish frying in your pan Your best guy's gone with another man Just calm your mind, leave trouble behind Take a walk 
on the glory road. Oh, well, the glory road is a mighty good way to make a way to a brighter day. If you don't waste time in playing your part, you'll find that road straight to your heart. When the phone ain't ringing and the money's all gone. Grass looks greener on the other guy's lawn. Just stop that worry in a hurry. And take a walk on the glory road. Oh, I'm walking now. Hey everybody, go to allguitarnetwork.com or go to the App Store and download the All Guitar Network. It's free and you get to see these podcasts for free the following week. The podcast will be on a Tuesday. The following Tuesday, you'll see the video at the All Guitar Network exclusively. Mr. Lucky, bad luck don't follow me. Yeah, they call me Mr. Lucky, bad luck don't follow me. Everything I touch is turned to gold. I never know misery. I woke up early one morning Mr. Lucky standing by my bed I woke up early one morning And Mr. Lucky standing by my bed I listened real closely That says what it says Said you were born for good luck, Norm. Bad luck can't do you no harm. You were born for good luck, and I know it's true. Bad luck can't do you no harm. You keep a black cat bone and a mojo hand. 
and guarantee you never, never, never go wrong. Ow. Right now at the Norm's Red Guitars podcast, my buddy Rick Vito, Dan Duran, Rob Bolger, and myself, and having a good time. I love that tune, Rick. Um, is that one of your tunes, or it was on one of your records, right? Uh, John Lee Hooker wrote that song about you. Wrote that about me. Well, <laughs> yeah. I guess he must have heard about me somewhere. Your fame. It's far and wide. Uh, there you go. Well, I know it's on one of your records. What record is on? Uh, that's, a, that's a record called um, Crazy Cool. Crazy Cool. Yeah. Well, what's really kind of cool about Which it is... I named is, after you. <laughs> uh, thank you again. Yeah. Well, you know, what's kind of cool about it, too, is that the chord change kind of comes in whenever John Lee... Whenever he feels like it. ...thought of doing it. It's like a... a 13 and one quarter bar yeah. blues or something like no, that. No, he didn't worry about making changes. He let the band make the changes and he just like sang whenever he felt like it. Oftentimes he just played that through the whole thing. Guy, make a fork change, Danny. You see what that sounds like. That sounds cool. Yeah. <laughs> you can do no wrong with the blues, right? No, that's right. <laughs> Play the five there. Even sounds good with the five. Well, we're back with my buddy Rick Vito, Dan Duran, Rob Bolger, and myself. And we're just talking about the old days. And, you know, um, you have a lot of records out, Rick, right? You have a lot of... Uh, I have 10 solo records that I've uh, been a part of. And, very cool. Uh, as, as well as playing on, you know, probably a couple hundred other recordings by different people and such. I have lost track. There you go. David Soul. Well, you know, what's kind of <laughs> cool is, is that, um, you know, Rick, he's known for playing slide guitar. But like when we played in the band back in the day, Rick is one of the greatest R&B and oh, funky you. guitar players ever. And I mean, you know, the one thing I always knew about when we were playing as a band is no matter what could possibly happen, Rick, with his time and everything, would keep everything together. And it was, uh, right. you know, whatever, whatever calamity might go down uh i didn't you know, realize that yeah time. well we were dependent on you we were looking at you you know so <laughs> well thank you yeah so um there wasn't too many calamities we were pretty well no, yeah i tell we you what i listen i listen to some things we recorded now i didn't yeah. like my vocals at the time but i'll tell you what that band was really rehearsed very tight and really very funky. tight yeah i look i haven't heard that stuff for having long 40 years and it's yeah it's listen to it good. Uh, what what struck me really was how tight the band was and how good your vocals were who yeah, are you looking I've at? Said it. Dan? I'm talking to uh, no, you. Uh, well, you know, I mean, it, it's very difficult for me to listen to anything that I did back then. Well, everybody's I, like that. Yeah. yeah. I kind of came into a, there was like a fork in the road for me at, at one point. And, uh, you know, when you went with Bonnie and all that, I mean, you had a lot of our best tunes and I love the tunes. There's one tune that you did that made me want to 
playing a band with you. It was called Hurt by a Woman. I wish you would do it again because oh, yeah. that is my favorite Rick Vito tune. I don't know why Gosh. you don't back, why you don't do that tune. Uh, hurt by a woman. Is that any way to treat her man? When we used to play that tune. Yeah, yeah. when we used to play that tune, the dance floor would fill up. I mean, it was like we'd be 15 seconds into that tune, and then it was uh, all calamity, and everything would break loose on the dance floor. And we used to dance the people to death. I mean, that was the one thing that we liked to do. Yeah. Um, And, again, we played at the uh, Topanga Corral, and here's a story that I'm going to bring up. There was was a guy who was a local around there who lived in a school bus behind the crowd. Now, you got to realize this. These were the hippie days, yeah. and uh, you know things were way different. Now those properties are worth millions of dollars, and there's estates on those properties. Yeah. But this was the funkiest beer bar. The thing smelled like a combination of beer and piss. But it was great, though. It, it was it was a great club. The most fun to play there. Absolutely. And uh, Topanga Dick was his name. I mean, his name was Dick, but everybody called him Topanga Dick. He lived in a school bus behind the club, and he was like a legendary character in L.A. And uh, you know. We're playing up there, and, and and not like you young bands that play one set and go, yeah, I'm so tired, I did my showcase, or whatever it is. We would play four or five sets a night. Oh, yeah, and, and two you know, nights. They'd book you for two nights yeah, there. Yeah, yeah, So, you, you know, we'd be <coughs> playing until 2, 3 in the morning, and we were all sweaty, and, you know, I mean, the place was like, uh, almost like a, a juke joint or whatever. I mean, it was yeah. like, you know, the people loved it and all that. But Topanga Dick is there, and he's dancing, and he's shaking this box over his head. <laughs> And, uh, you know, I'm looking at him and he's dancing by himself, you know, and the dance floor is full and he's up there shaking this box. And so the second set comes and he's up there and he's dancing the whole set and shaking this box. Third set comes. He's still dancing and shaking the box. The fourth set comes. uh, He's still doing that. And at the end of the night, I go, Dick, what's the deal? What are you doing dancing with that box? He goes, oh, that's Jeff. He was killed in a motorcycle crash, and we're going to put his ashes all over Topanga tomorrow. So we wanted him to have his last dance at the corral. corral, (laughs) I I mean, it's hard to explain. I mean, you kind of had to be there. You had to be there for that one. I mean, there were, I mean, you know, drugs were rampant. I mean, you know, uh, Dan and I used to play tricks on each other. You know, one time I was standing outside after a set, and I kind of felt something cold going down my leg, and Dan was pouring beer in the pocket of my pants. <laughs> and, uh, I wouldn't have done that. Uh, yes, he did that. So in retribution, what I did was uh, Dan, this was in the early days, and Dan had found some girl. I don't know why any woman would want to go home with you, but he had some. What's some, not to like? Yes, right. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, what's not to like? So anyhow. Uh, I had this chain and I had a padlock and Dan had this house and there was a big fence in front of the house, you know, and came back after having some drinks, bringing this girl. And I ran, I drove over to his house immediately right after the gig and I put this chain and a padlock on so he couldn't get in. (laughs) So he comes home with this girl, he wants to take her to his house and he can't get in the house. And uh, you had to, what did you do to get in? I think I had to take the gate apart or something, but uh, she was pretty good looking and I was not going to take her back home. I know that. I was going to get in there one way or another. Listen, you didn't, you know, if she went home with you, you know, it was, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You poured buttered popcorn all over your organ one time? uh, Yeah, and you know, but I, I used to have I like this. Uh, no, it was no, potato chips. Oh. oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, and by <laughs> yeah. the way, here's here's another story. I'll never forget this. We're playing at that club in the Marina Del Rey. The basement. 
the basement. And Jesse Ed Davis yeah. used to come in Jesse and sit Ed in Davis, with us. And, yeah. you know, it was, uh, Jesse was a great guitar player. Was, he uh, was. He was a character. And, uh, but I'll never forget this. We had uh, our friend Greg Dane, who was our, uh, Roadie. road manager, roadie, everything. He, you know, he was, he did everything for us. Um, they had a curtain. And uh, <laughs> in the middle of the set, I don't know what happened where he leaned over to the curtain, the curtain closed in the middle of the set. And then he went and opened it up again. And then he saw Rick was getting really annoyed. So he started, kept doing it. He kept opening and closing the curtain while we were playing. That's as so soon funny, as we got man. through with the tune, Rick put his guitar down and started chasing Greg all over the club. I'll never forget that. That was uh, just another one of those moments. Because, you know, you know yeah. I, I so revered Jesse Ed Davis. You know, I'd learn a lot of guitar from listening to the Taj Mahal records and here here's Greg you know like yeah, completely ruining on the us, moment yeah. well there, there was another one where, where Juke who was Juke Logan was like really something he was one of the greatest harp players really soulful singer and uh, Wurlitzer piano player and really good songwriter but I remember playing at this club in uh, I, I think it was Redondo Beach or something like that and uh Juke is waiting for some of his buddies who, like, he idolized, too. I don't know that were, you know, really good players to come see us. And it's like a Tuesday night, and there's, like, about six people in the club or, you know, there was as many people working there as there were in the audience. And, you know, one of those off nights, and Juke had invited his friends to come over. And uh, Our, so <laughs> there, was a, there was this girl that we knew who was— uh, Jerry Barton. Jerry Barton. She was a nice girl, but she was a terrible singer. Uh, we just— had her come up and sit in with us <laughs> just to kind of have fun with it because she, she was that, so bad. Linda Ronstadt. Right, Linda Ronstadt. I've been cheated, I think. Already. Yeah, but it was really bad and it was off key and everything. And well, just, she, well, you, you said to her, well, what key do you want? And she goes, oh, any key. <laughs> <laughs> that tells you something <laughs> right there. So, uh, so anyhow, just as she comes up, Juke's buddies come walking into the club <laughs> and he's looking over at us going, no, no, don't do that. <laughs> We're all cracking up. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's like, so his buddies come in, this girl's up there singing in the key of L. And, uh, you know, it was, uh, it was one of those moments. So, and we would do things just out of boredom to kind of play tricks on each other all the time. Oh, I remember, uh, I remember the, that club. I remember the thing. I remember the first time we were supposed to play there and like, you came with Greg or somebody, and you guys like were, were like partaking yeah. on the way. Uh, I yes, Wait, well, I had a problem with pot back in that day, in those well, days, and you know. So you show up like an hour later. Oh, and yeah. The club oh, yeah. owner walks up to us and he goes, uh, "So when are you guys going to turn pro?" Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Juke, that, he wasn't Juke very was happy. No. Yeah. Well, what we did is we we pulled into this gas station, and we used to go, you know. Uh, I used to smoke a lot of pot. And, and I'm not endorsing that to anybody because now I wish I hadn't. I probably killed so many brain cells. I don't even know how I can remember any of this stuff. But anyhow, we pull in this gas station. We get directions to the club. An hour later, we're driving around. We wind up at the same gas station again. <laughs> you know? So, yeah. uh, you know, those were the days. And, uh, you know, so it, a lot of stupidity. But uh, And, again, I'm not recommending drugs to anybody because I'm more against it these days than I am for it. But, uh, you know, in, the, in those days, that was part of growing up in that time. Yeah, so, that time period, you know. It's yeah. just such a part of the California culture and everything like that. Yeah. You know, when we when uh, we used to see Jesse Ed Davis back then, you know who was playing with him? It was the first time I ever met him was Bob Glob. Right, exactly. The great Bob Glob. That's where I first met Bob. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, first time I ever met him, <laughs> I, too. I, first time I met them, 
I was with my band with Eric Dalton, remember Eric, yeah, uh, yeah. drummer, and Fontaine Brown, and we were playing the Chino's Women Prison. Oh, <laughs> and, I'm kidding. And Bob and only Jesse the finest Ed, gigs. Were, they were yeah. playing it too. Yeah, we were both playing that gig, and uh, well, some things went on backstage because some of these women were so man hungry, you know, oh, from really? being locked up. Oh. That's all I can say about yeah. it. Oh yeah, wow. At least on the imagine. Yeah. yeah, a lot of things can't be repeated. No, but, uh, you know. But the Chino's uh, women's prison. I'll remember geez. that one. Well, I can only imagine how bad yeah. that would be. And uh, and Rob over there in the corner, you know, our young man who is no longer. He's he's like he was a young man when we first knew him. Rob used to, you know, kind of look at us because we were, you know, older than Rob, and Rob kind of looked up to us. Now, what do you think about? Oh, These I'm right idiots there. that you uh, that oh. you idolize. Are you, you know? kidding? This is like on my Facebook page. It says college, and I go Norman's rare guitars. <laughs> oh yeah, because Ooh. I work in the film business now, and everything that I learned from age fourteen to thirty, from when I worked at the store, I've is held me at a good stead to this day, both professionally and socially. So you don't think your life is skewed a little bit because oh, of that oh, experience? Oh, no. I mean, well, Rob, Rob came in one day, and he had these boots that he had that he used to, like, no, they're, tape uh, up. Uh, vans. Slip-on vans. Well, whatever it was, it was like they were filled with tape, and he was like this punk rocker kid, and we used to kind of goof on him. Uh, yeah, well, <laughs> no, well th no, this is, you know, when you first came in, you, yes, can, you know, Dan I, and I, I think we were packing a guitar to send out, yep. and you said, hey, yeah. I, I, could you hire me to do that? And no, kinda, I remember he wanted some picks for free. Yeah. And so we gave him some picks, and the next day he wanted more picks. And the third day he wanted more picks. He said, like "Well, that if at you're going to want picks, you got to wor work." Wasn't so like that at all. We made him pick up the. Yes, it was. We no, made him I pack walked up in with Jimmy Blake. You were yeah. packing up a guitar. I'm like, "Hey, can I have some picks?" He goes, "Yeah, help me pack your stuff up." And then he goes, and then afterwards, and you go, "Why don't you come in on Saturday and polish the guitars and take out the trash?" So I come well, in. You were like off. Norm was there, and he goes, "Really? Oh, okay." And then, <laughs> all right, come in a couple days a week after school. <clears throat> And I was in eighth grade. Wow. Well, there was, I know, I, I know you kind of remember <laughs> this. Uh, there was a girl named Shelly who used to oh, come yeah. in, oh, who was kind of directly out of a mental institution. And uh, she one going. day, Danny and I were just, it was, you know, we, the store has always been kind of a destination. We would be off the path so purposely so that we would just wouldn't have stragglers come in. You know, people who come in, you know, knew about guitars that came there for a reason. So Dan and I are playing and then this girl comes in and then wants to sing. She's about 300 pounds. And yeah, she, I think was, she just uh, got off the bus and walked by and saw the guitars and stumbled he came in. So Dan said, yeah, you could sing. And we used to have this rubber chicken in this store. Oh. And Dan said, but if you sing, you got to hold this rubber chicken while you sing. And then he talked her into doing these uh, dances. He said, you got to do like the alligator. You got to get down on your stomach and oh. flop around. And you know, Dan was very cruel. No. And so uh, she st we started off we'll doing the twist. This. You know? And then you said, do the swim. And then and she goes like this. And then I said, do the monkey. And she's going like the monkey. And Norm says, do the alligator. And she gets down on the floor and starts doing the alligator. We're playing. Right then, this, this gal walked in with her son to buy a guitar. Yeah. And they saw her on the floor doing the alligator. Oh, no. And they just turned around and left. Yeah. You got to have a sense of humor and some thick skin over at Norm's Rare Guitars. Yeah. I mean, it was, uh, you know, some definite crazy times back then, you know. So, um, 
But uh, you know, I'm. But there was so, always great guitars around. Oh yeah, oh, it was great. That was the of, one thing that yeah, you that know we had. That you know, as goofy and as much fun as we had, we knew the guitars and we always had great stuff. And people would come to us in spite of our insanity, and they kind of liked it because yeah, I mean, most different. stories you come in, it's kind of stuffy, and you know, you walk in and it's like somebody puts a hard sell on you. Sometimes we were playing poker, we just say, "Yeah, go look at the guitars. Just let us know if you want something. You know, see you but, later." Yeah. But speaking of guitars, and for you know the guitar fans rick what back in the heydays the club days what was your rig what was your guitar and amp setup and did you have pedals or any of that no pedals had a had uh, a slew of old telecasters and i most of which i got from norm i got my first my first old telecaster was a fifth well i had one when i was in high school so i loved that that was like a 60 and then somehow I lost that. And then I got a 55 when I first came to town. And then when I uh, got acquainted with Norm, I got like a 52, a 53. Uh, you know, I had a bunch of them, you know. So that was my main act. One, one thing that Rick had that um, I wish you would play more is you had a B-bender. And uh, it's a telly where you can kind of change the tuning by pressing down on the strap and that kind of thing. And so he would be playing like this funky R&B stuff. And then all of a sudden, right in the middle of a solo, he'd hit this B-bender just at the right moment. And it, it, you know, it kind of made it sound almost like a little bit Hawaiian or something. But it really took the tunes to a whole different place. I really wish you would do some more of that because I thought it was so cool. I think it really differentiated the band from, I mean, you know, um, Mike Campbell, I know, uses a B-Bender from time to mm -hmm. time. And not a, a lot of people use them anymore, but if used properly, they're really, mm -hmm. really cool. Yeah. Yeah, I, uh, I've been getting some benders made for me by a guy called Richard Bowden. Mm -hmm. He used to play, uh, it was Pinkerton Bowden. They, they were a country comedy duo and he was with Linda Ronstadt years ago. But anyway, he makes these things now. And I got them on my slide guitars, but I haven't been uh, playing, you know, well, I don't play country anymore. I've, I've dabbled yeah, in it. He could play but, really great country, but great but you're, you're, funky you're stuff. You're bringing, bringing that back to mind. I used to be able to play like an, an E9 chord and, and hit the B bender and it would bring it up to this uh, interesting interval. And, and so that's what I used it to do. It was really cool. And, and we used to kind of, you know, kind of dig deep to try to find, you know, like R&B tunes and stuff that not everybody knew. Like uh, we would do this tune, Let a Woman Be a Woman, Let a Man Be a Man by yeah. Dyke and the Blazers. That was a mm. great tune. And uh, somebody recently took that tune. That was Al McKay from Earth, Wind and Fire back yeah, in the early days. He was yeah. a guitar player. Really? Yeah, wow. and Al's a buddy of mine, funky. and it's really funky guitar part, and Dyke and the Blazers are really something. So we would kind of dig deep to try to find these kind of hip kind of dance tunes and stuff. Yeah. Because, you know, to us, you know, the most fun is when you're playing, if everybody's sitting there kind of nodding out, not knowing, you know, kind of looking at each other to see if things are good or bad, you know, that wasn't a lot of fun. When you had a sweaty dance floor, people that were just Well, you brought on. the Miami influence to the band with the little Richard, a little, uh, little, little beaver, beaver stuff. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, little uh, beaver's another one of my idol guitar players and singers from Miami that I always tell people about. Um, you know, I wish people, more people were, would get hip to him. I told Joe Bonamassa and Joe listened to some stuff and I know he does a radio show and he started playing some little beaver stuff and it was really cool. And by the way, there's another guy named James Hunter, who's like an English guy that we've been listening to. I kind of turned Dan oh, yeah, on to really, him. Really and the guy's got so many great tunes. It's sort of like R&B from 
just prior to the Beatles, you know, 61, 62. Th- One of my favorite periods in music. Me that, too. That, you know, early 60s, really early 60s. Yeah. 59, 60, 61, 62. Yeah. Pre-Beatles, right. And I want to say something else that uh, Rick, I owe Rick for, um, Rick, when we were playing together, wrote an article and submitted it to Guitar Player Magazine. And it was the first article on a vintage guitar store. And Rick kind of put us on the map. I mean, he at the time, it was maybe right around the last waltz time because I think Robbie Robinson Robbie, was, Robbie on, was on, on the cover. cover. Yeah. 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 And, it was about uh, 76, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah. So I don't think any, uh, if there's a Guinness Book of Records, I don't think any other vintage guitar store had ever been profiled in any magazine. It, it wasn't because it it was... It was like the way they, they, uh, the heading on the article was like, it, it sort of suggested like the new vintage guitar collector, you know, thing phenomenon. that's happening. Yeah. That's a phenomenon, you know. They had never profiled that kind of thing before. It was the story of Norman Drake. That's no, what it was called. And, yeah, the story of Norman Drake. And it was like, you know, it was a 500 square foot store. I mean, you could trip and fall over yourself in yeah. the store. It was so small. We had, you know, it was stuffed to, with guitars, but I mean, it was a tiny room. I and, think business uh, picked up after that. Yeah, no, that was, bit. that really put us on the map and let a lot of people know that we existed. I mean, I owe a lot to Rick for doing that. I also owe a lot to Robbie Robertson. I take checks. I got a check for you. <laughs> check this out. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, no yeah, signature. Robbie was, Robbie was profiled in that uh, same yeah. issue. And it was really cool because, I mean, it was a time, the last waltz to me, I think that's the greatest uh, music documentary of all time. I just wish they wouldn't have broken up. I wish they would have done the last waltz and took a hi- hiatus and then come back like other bands yeah. do, you know? Well, the, unlike, the you know, Cher and all these other people that have their final uh, concert and then there was the final, final concert and then the final, final, final concert, you know, where they said they were going to retire, but they continued yeah. on for many years the band they they did it and i think a lot of it if you look at the movie i mean robbie was talking about uh you know he just said you know we've been on so many planes we've been flying around you know if there's a numbers game i don't want to you know keep pressing my luck until maybe our plane goes down or something happens like that yeah. he was like you know no uh, i i get it i just i'm saying from my person personally i wish that they hadn't Broken up. I love listen, listen to that music they made. It was like some of the most mature, just Earthy, really funky. intelligent, but but soulful, right. great music. Very tasteful, Dang. and uh, you know, I mean, and and the, the band was everybody's favorite. I mean, Eric Clapton loved Robbie oh, and the yeah. band. I mean, you know, just everybody loved the band, and they just uh, you know were something special. One of the greatest American Absolutely. bands of all time. Absolutely. Well, they were Canadian, except for for uh, Levon. 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 He was the only yeah. American. Well, how about Garth? Garth? No, all Canadian. Was Garth Canadian? Yeah. yeah. So, uh, and I was there at uh, a lot of the rehearsals for the last waltz, and I went to the wow. screening premiere to that and it was uh, i was yeah, just blown that away was, I mean, that was amazing yeah. and i knew almost everybody in that movie at, at the time right. you know because these were like almost all of my customers and sure. robbie had me supply all the instruments to the movie and it was you it did was quite a, a lot of movies after that i did i did um actually i i think bound for f- glory i think the first one it was actually bound for glory yeah, which was, was before, before uh, the last yeah. wall and then the buddy holly story buddy holly story there were there were a number of them that we did and you know where they uh you know prior buddy to that well, they did, but uh, they, uh, you know, they got a couple things right. La Bamba, you know, we supplied some instruments that, but 
prior to that, a lot of the movies, if they were set in a certain time period, they didn't necessarily use the right instruments and they figured nobody's going to know if no. we use a 1990 guitar in a right. movie. Future. Uh, you know, taking place in the yes. 40s or 50s. Yeah. You know, they didn't figure enough people played guitar, and that was a big mistake. Because yeah. when you look at those movies and you see those guitars, they're, they, you know, they would have like, uh, you know, those movies like that uh, baseball movie that, uh, you know, uh, League of Their Own, where they're using those old-fashioned baseball gloves and all that. Nobody thought enough people played guitar for it to matter, you know, if they were, you know, period correct. So um, since then, you know, the movies, well, there's a lot of reissues that are being used in the movies and stuff like that. I remember after the uh, Buddy Holly story, um, uh, Gary Busey, uh, I saw him actually at a racquetball place and Gary came in and he ended up buying a 57 Strat for me, but this was after, after the, the movie. movie. Mm -hmm. um, and Should have used that in the movie. No kidding, but it was a little late, but uh, but he kind of recognized it afterwards and, uh, you know, we talked about it. And oh, well. Yeah, so, but now- You know, we were, were talking different. about the Topanga Corral. Uh, Gary Busey used to hang around at the corral all the time. But his name at the time was Teddy Jack Eddy. That's right. And he was a really yeah. good drummer. I didn't know his name was Gary Busey no, until years later. Teddy Jack Eddy was a right. great drummer. Yeah. yeah. Played with Billy Burnett. Yeah. And who were who some of the other characters? There were a couple uh, actors and stuff that used to Russ hang out. Tamblin. Russ Tamblin, right. He was always there. Keel uh, Martin from the Hill Street Blues. Remember yeah. him? Keel. Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, Jan Michael Vincent was yeah. always yeah. up there. Yeah. Yeah. So this was like the hangout, and this is where they could kind of let their hair down and oh, do yeah. anything they wanted and kind of, you know, uh, play, pool. play pool and listen to some good music or some bad yeah. music or whatever it yeah. happened to be. But yeah. it was a place that is part of – there really should be a book should about, be a movie that, about that. That, that club because, yeah. I mean, it, some of the stuff was hard to believe. There was uh, – uh, I remember the day that there was a guy, Jeff, who was the chef there. Jeff the chef, uh, yeah. You know – he would drop acid, come in naked on a motorcycle yeah. in the yeah. middle of the night. I remember he drove on to the, to the dance floor that night. Yeah. So just some of the craziest stuff. I mean, it is kind of a scene from L.A. And How about the guy who used to sit at the back door and he was always writing in a yeah, Chemo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Chemo. And, and chemo and Sabi. Looked, and you looked at the, what's you writing? And you looked at the, and it was like. It's like speaking in tongues while yeah. he was writing. Yeah, no, language it was, that only it was he definitely knew. weird. I mean, you know, very drug induced. And uh, I remember yeah. one night, a Saturday night, we were playing there, and it was packed. And this big commotion at the front door, and this party walks in and sits down at the front table. And it was uh, Delaney Bram, not Del uh, yeah, Bonnie Bramlin was in the party, <laughs> and she didn't stop. She kept walking right up on stage. And grabbed one of Juke's harmonicas. He had a little box with about ten harmonicas in it, different keys. And she just grabbed one randomly, mic, yeah. randomly, and went up to the microphone and started playing. Of course, it was in the wrong key by about and, a half a step. Oh, way back. Uh, yeah. That's... And uh, I looked over at Juke, and he goes like this. So we went ba 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 ba, and we <laughs> and all the bailed off we the all, stage. Yeah, she was up, she there, was up going, there by herself. Yeah. At the time, she was drinking. At the time, and all that. You know, I mean, you know, was like, you know, she was going. Fuck you! Fuck you'll you'll Fuck never you play it. You'll again. never play in Los Angeles again. <laughs> well, you might have been right. I don't know. <laughs> so listen, um, this has been a lot of fun, you know, with my really close buddies. I mean, this is a show. I we didn't have to take any notes or anything. I mean, you know, we all know each other's history so well. Um, you know, great Rick Vito. Thank you so much. 
Danny Duran. The great my, Danny Duran. Great, uh, excuse <laughs> Thank me. You. The, the great, great Danny Duran. Excuse and the me. Great, great, great. Like the great Rob. Dane, you know. And uh, the great Rob Bolger over there in also the corner. Known as Mr. Bitchin. Yes. <laughs> well, it's been a, a lot of fun and great talking to you guys and all that. And so, what can you take us out with? You know, so. little thing I learned from Wayne Cochran and the CC Riders. You're homeboys. Well, you can't judge an apple by looking at the tree. You can't judge honey, no, looking at the bee. No. You can't judge a sister by looking at a brother. And you can't judge a book by looking at the cover. Well, can't you see that you misjudged me? You did. <laughs> I may act like a fighter, but I'm a lover. Tell me. You can't judge a book by looking at the cover. That's what they say. Well, you can't judge a fish by looking at the pond. You can't judge a right by looking at a wrong. I was wrong. You can't judge a daughter looking at a mother. And you can't judge a book by looking at the cover. Now, can't you see? I can't see. That you misjudge me. Yeah, I might act like a fighter, but I'm a lover. You can't judge a book by looking at the cover. fun here with my buddy Rick Vito, Dan Duran, and Rob Bolger. Had a really great time, and I hope it wasn't all too much personal stuff, you know, for you guys who are listening. But, uh, you know, we have a lot of history together, and, you know, just fun talking about it. I hope at some point we get to do this again, talk about a lot of other stuff that we did. And uh, Rob Bolger, you know, I mean, he was witness to a lot of our shenanigans and all that kind of stuff. So we're going to, you know, do some more stuff talking about the early days of the store. And uh, we love you guys for uh, listening and watching for free at the All Guitar Network the following week. Uh, you know, every Tuesday, the podcast comes on, the audio version, and then the following week, free on the All Guitar Network. And, uh, you know, again, we're so happy and so glad that you guys um, give us the time of day to, to listen to this and watch it. And, uh, and we love you. So thank you guys so much. There you go. Take us out, Rick. judge a book by looking at the cover just remember that I'll try 
Thank you guys for listening. Please rate, review, and tell us what you like about our podcast. If you don't like anything, don't tell us. We're actually tell us so we can correct it. Anyhow, you can get us at Apple Podcasts or Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. And if you're a guitar freak, you're going to love this show. we got some great guitar players coming up. If you're not a guitar freak, if you're just a freak, you'll still love this show. Thank you for listening.